From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. James, welcome back to another show, and we have a special guest that we teased on a previous episode. Well, thank you, Steve, and it's great to be here as always, and definitely looking forward to having this guest on. Excellent. So uh, with us today, we have Donovan Monday, and uh, one of the reasons that we uh, had talked about Donovan in the past is his involvement with HETMA and the approved program. So welcome, Donovan. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for being here. So Donovan's with uh, West Virginia University, and we always like to start uh, with giving a little bit of a background on our guests, talk about um, the your your experience in, in the industry, as well as uh, relevance to programming. And we'll... Um, take the conversation from there. So just give us a little bit yeah, of context. Absolutely. Um, I started in the, probably in the AV industry in the early nineties um, and doing integration work. Um, I was a musician that worked for a local music store that got, were starting to delve into integration work uh, for houses of worship and clubs and those kind of things. I got into programming DMX lighting and, doing uh, uh, systems for uh, larger houses of worship. And that kind of uh, snowballed into getting more into the, into the weeds on how do we make these, you know, user proof in a lot of ways, you know, we started back in, um, it was in the late nineties when they started doing um, uh things like basis and things like that with QSC where they were doing uh, RS-232 control of amplifiers and limiting and uh, graphical designs for those kind of things. And so that's where I kind of got started in with the, the programming side. I went and worked for a government contractor for a little while, um, working for one of those three-letter uh, government agencies and was doing VTC work for them uh, in a secure SCIF. Programming things like polycoms and tambergs and bridges, and they got into the conference room game where they were wanting some control over their conference rooms. So we started doing those those build outs, and then um, coming to West Virginia University, I was brought on to do initially to do things like digital signage and uh, build out the distance education and uh, telemedicine pieces that we needed and get into doing smart classrooms. Uh, at the time, they were an AMX shop, and we converted everything over to, to a different um, uh, vendor and have been kind of going forward ever since then, just trying to get, you know, trying to build out the best possible user experience that we can. So what are some of the the typical challenges that you face uh, when it comes to programming and, and control uh, either on a day-to-day -day basis or when you're looking at planning out your projects? I'm going to uh, probably say something unpopular here. And I am not a huge fan of the gatekeeping that companies do on their programming side of their products. I understand from a business standpoint what is why that's necessary, you know, for their integrators and for their, you know, 
there are some proprietary things that they deal with that obviously needs to happen, right? But for the, the most part for us as end users and as, as tech managers, especially in higher ed, and especially where, you know, and I've talked about this many, many times in the past, and James can attest to this, where I am geologically in the world, like we don't have integrators that are, you know, downtown, or we don't have integrators that are in our, even in our city, you know, we, in our town where we live. So we often wait a long period of time for someone to have time to come, you know, to us to fix something. So the whole idea of being in-house integrators and doing things ourselves and doing the programming ourselves and doing all of that is built on necessity. You know, we have things that break. We can't be down two weeks because no one can get to us in that rotation. So the gatekeeping that goes on in order to become that, you know, I call it the the 13th level wizard to, you know, to drop a screen and to turn a projector on is just, it's unnecessary, I think, for, for a lot of things. And people have tried the, you know, the stopgap efforts of things like AV framework and, you know, those kind of, you know, well, you know, the user can program these things and graphical, you know, programming and stuff doesn't quite get it done what we need to have it do. So there's got to be some give and take there with, you know, how this works for, for end users like us. You know, not everyone's going to want to program their own stuff. Not everyone, you know, needs to. But for those of us that do, we shouldn't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars, one, to get certified, and two, go through what seems to be like, uh, you know, months and months and months of training to just get to where we need to be. I appreciate that. And I, I although you, you say it's an unpopular um perspective i'm I'm sure that there are many others that are sharing that and and are in similar shoes and i think you provide really good justification for it james do do you want to add on to that yes to a point i mean donovan hit a lot of good points there the one argument and i'm normally not on this side of these things but i can see the argument being oh, we shouldn't spend $1,000 to get certified. I kind of disagree. I mean, yes, we shouldn't spend thousands of dollars to get certified, but we should get certified. We should have the doors open to us to get those certifications so that we're on the same level as an integrator because it shows that we can do it um that we have and a lot of us can do it better um but you know you don't want to take away from the people who actually got certified because they could do their job too and you you don't want to knock that no i I don't Um, necessarily mean that and i think that the people like me like you know you take the you know crestron offers all the way up to like you know a certain level for free right and qsc does the same thing for free and Xtron will will bring you out for a certain level. And then you have to, at some point, you have to buy in to, to, to go forward. And I think that that's what, you know, for those of us who have already done everything that's that's offered for free, and then 
we have to go to our management and say, hey, look, you know, I got to spend $3,000 to go to the next level. And that's not even going to get me certified. That's going to take me to the next class that allowed me to open up the next version of it. It's going to be probably in the neighborhood of, you know, $9,000, $10,000 before I finally get completely certified. Well, we have an integrator that's got a certified guy. Why are we certifying you? You know, just call him when you have a programming issue. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point. Like I said, the cost needs to be looked at, especially in the higher ed side. And not just the cost. Another thing that I've actually had conversations with manufacturers about, and Steve, you can probably chime in on this too, is higher ed is kind of unique in a way. So when I go for programming, I don't need, nor do I care of how to turn on a microwave across the country. So I don't or put to- or pull shades down or, or yeah, you know, a lot of the things that are offered in, in those suites. Yeah, I'm not saying that the integrators who are doing home um, um, programming or they yeah, they need to use that. Maybe have a different track of certification that is for residential and higher ed, you know, break it out that way and make it a little more targeted to the vertical you're doing. Because like I said, like I don't care about programming micro, uh, microwave or, you know, uh, I'll, I'm sure people know this one, but the riverboat, I'm not going to say what that is, but many people who have gotten certification in like, I'm in higher ed. I ain't doing a riverboat. So why do I need to, if I need to yeah. learn how to do your product, why is it for a certification? I got to do this 40 hour project on a riverboat when I just need to focus on classrooms and education. Uh, so I definitely think manufacturers need to revamp their target audience with their programming and make it a little more directive of who's going for it. But also with that said is I do think uh, manufacturers need to protect their product and making sure that the people who are programming it for the need that they are programming for know what they're doing because they don't want a black eye. And I use this example in higher ed um, big time. How many times, and I'm not picking on them, I just know they're a big company, but how many times people go, well, Crestron sucks because the touch panel is not working in a classroom. It may just be a programming error has nothing to do with the Crestron product. It was bad programming. Um, so they, I think having the Crestron and the AMX and the QSCs, making sure that whoever is working on their products are actually capable of working on it is a good way to keep their brand for being reliable. But I do think like Donovan brought up a good point is it needs to be more affordable for higher ed folks who especially in the rural areas who don't have integrators that they can knock on their door and say hey what's going on here or um because we can't wait two weeks we got a 10 minute window and classes start when classes start and i will say you know and we can talk about this a little bit more later when we get into 
you know, real programming stuff, but the, the racks that we were building five years ago are completely different than the racks we're building today, right? They've been completely simplified. We're simplified out. We have a much less uh, rack space taken up by gear. And the type of gear we're putting in is completely different than what we were doing five years ago. I, I agree with that. But I also think it depending on where you're at. Because back when I'm on the East Coast, our rack builds were very slim, very limited gear in them. Um, here where I'm at now, we have a lot of gear in our, our racks. That's something I'm actually, once we are fully got the day-to-day operations on our hand and we're working, just, that's something I'm going to be investigating and see if we really need all that gear that we have. But so again, two different locations, completely different rack builds. And what we've said in Hetma from the very beginning is that we all do it. We all do the same thing differently, right? Yes. The um, idea that you're prevented from being able to do programming is a little new to me. So I must admit, and I come at it from a very different perspective. So I think that that's really interesting because if you think about it from uh, any other type of coding, you have access to the language and and you write your code and you the, the restrictions are a little less limited in terms of being able to have access to it. It may have a cost associated with it, but the, the proving of, um, of, of your uh, qualifications is not necessarily there. So it's, it's very right. interesting. Because if you're, if you're programming something in C++ or you're doing something in Python or in uh, anything like that, you, you know, there are tons and tons of resources for that right out there, right? You know, we can, you know, tons of resources, but if you're going to learn something in C sharp or you're trying to do something in, you know, the proprietary language that they've built into this, you know, this control system, that that's, you know, yes, Reddit has some, there are, there are definitely resources out there, but you got to dig for it. Mm-hmm. I agree with Donovan, like someone as me, who I've been teaching myself Python, I can easily hit the Googles and be like, hey, I have this problem. I can get 30 websites who give me different examples of what to do to solve that problem. If you do an AMX, you do a Crestron, you do an Extron, it's like crickets out there. I have a, I have a question for you guys about that in particular. I, I was thinking about this podcast and, and talking to you guys in particular, but you know, everyone's buzzword this last month has been you know, AI, right? you know, chat GPT and, and all of the different things that are out there. How long, or do you think that at some point, one of these companies, and I think the first to market is going to be the one to kind of grab the, the share of it, whoever it may be, but a, a text, text generated programming language where a user can go in and say, I want it to do A, B, C, and D, and it spits out a program for you on the other side, you know, on a, on a text-based level. Is that something that 
you think would work or you think that is, you know, on that level, you know, with, with things like AV framework and those kind of things, you have those drop down lists and you can, you can do a lot of things in there, but I'm talking about a truly text-based, I need it for, you know, drop the screen after 30 seconds, turn the projector on, you know, start up with input one in, uh, you know, definitely be able to build something out that way. So I have thought about this a lot, as you mentioned, as AI has been the buzzword lately. And I am taking it this kind of two front. One, can that happen? Can someone just go to ChatGPT and say, hey, write me this program? Yes. But what is spit out if that person doesn't know it could be wrong and they load it and actually cause problems? Oh, yeah. There, it's a bigger issue. You have to verify it. It's just a tool, just like any tool out there. If you use it wrong, you can cause problems. And the second path I was going to mention, and this is one of my gripes with the AV industry as a whole, is if you look at even what's take the companies that are doing C Sharp and Python, they put their little spin on it. So it's not true Python. It's not true C Sharp. Sure. You know, we got to make it a little special, make it a little different. And I think they will do that too with this AI generated thing is they'll put their little spin on it. So, you know, you have to go through a special, almost a wall garden or gatekeeper uh donovan mentioned to try to actually do what you know the regular it world allows freely well you see that in the linux world all the time you know they do linux and spins of, of linux and android where you have the basic tools in linux that are there but there's always a little little tweak to that spin that you know you have to know about so I, I think uh, I mean, your IT is more open source than AV, I feel. Oh, sure. What's interesting is of what you were describing, Donovan, sounded a little bit like voice control to me. So it sounded like you would tell the system what you wanted, and then it would somehow translate it into an instruction set. So the, the Alexa controlled or the, you know, hey, Google control for uh, classroom sets, I think would be... Uh, we've looked at it. We've looked at some, you know, doing something along those lines. But honestly, the in our environment, in a higher ed environment, I think that's it's not going to ever work the right way. Um, one, we have way too many different dialects, and 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 there's not a standard language taught in higher ed, right? There's not it or used in higher ed. There just isn't. Um, and because of the, the proximity to everything else that's going on on campus, you know, you could have that room firing on and off all day long because it's hearing something down the hall or, you know, I know there's way to limit and I know there's things that you can do, but we know from a higher ed standpoint that those things, those mitigations hardly ever work the way they should. Sure. I, I, I don't know that I would put that in front of students. No. <laughs> No, no. And, and uh, even, you know, in a, in a, especially in a medical school where I work, um, you know, how do you, 
you know, when you say something and it's always listening, you know, a single word can cause a, can trigger a, an action. You know, you have to get the phrasing rights and you have to do things that are certain ways. And you, I, it's just, you know, I think what most people want these days and what I, what most of our customers are wanting, and I call it the big red button effect. They want to walk in, they want to hit the big red button and everything work. And that's it. You know, the touch panel sometimes cares them because they they look at it and go, well, there's some buttons on it. I don't really, I don't want to mess with it. Can you just turn it on for me? Or, you know, I, I, I just want, I just, I, I don't need the cameras on or anything like that. I just need the, the computer on. I don't need anything else. Okay. And so, you know, we call it the big red button. Yeah, in the, in the commercial world, we call it the the CEO control. Yeah, something. <laughs> and then you have the other people. I call it the Tony Stark effect, where they've seen something on TV or they've seen something in a movie, and they're like, "Can I can I have that hologram in front of me, and I can move it around and deal with that?" Like, it, I, we've had so many people ask about, you know, three D projection or or things like that, where they want to manipulate something in real time and. Uh, having those discussions where, you know, like, well, that's, that doesn't exist yet. I'm sorry. Well, it does, but it's not what you think it is. Um, it's, it's very interesting. I think that's one of the huge challenges as a programmer in higher ed is we have that wide thematic of our users. We have those, and our classrooms have to work for everyone. We have those users who just want to come in and have the system work. They don't want any bells and whistles. And then we have those on the edge of the pushing the boundaries of technology. And we want to be there. Like, I know I want to. I want to do cool things. But then you like, all right, that's 1% of our use case. And we can't divulge resources to it and we can't have complicated program for that one percent when we also have another one percent who only just wants the easy button and have everything work and then your 98 percent of the people are somewhere in between those two extremes yeah and our programming you know at at wvu has gotten to the point where it's you know, on the touch panel, it's a big, big start button. There's nothing else, you know, present at that point. The start button's there. You get a couple options. Then if you start digging down the rabbit hole, you know, you can get complicated with it. But that's only for those users that are wanting to go down that rabbit hole. And if you just want it to come on and do the basics, you don't have to ever touch it again, you know, once you hit that big start button. So, you know, the UI is different now than it was before where you had a bunch of you know soft buttons on the side and you had a touch button and you had volume controls and you had you know knobs and whistles and stuff now it's most of the time it's literally just a single single button push and the room is available at that point and i don't know if you noticed this donovan but and it has changed a lot um since i noticed this but this was back in my student worker days and it, it really made me step back and really think. So we had a, at that time, we had a mix of systems. We had 
um, where I was a student work at. We had some rooms that actually had a big square remote. And if you wanted the PC, like turn the projector on the PC, you had to hit like option B for something on the remote. And then some rooms had the, a new interface where you launch a website on the PC and you, you want the system on, you hit on. If you want the PC, you click PC. And I was showing a faculty member that web interface and they're like, this is too confusing. Give me the remote. I'm like, wait, option B4 is easier than hitting on. And he's like, yes, because I know option B4. Yeah. And I think too, like, um, and you bring up a great point is that something that we've worked really, really hard at in our environment is standardization, right? We talk about program standardization. We talk about UI standardization. So even though our rooms might be physically different and they might have different components and they might have different, um, you know, this room has five, you know, displays in it and this room has a projector. That UI, those first couple page flips on that UI is exactly the same. So it doesn't matter if you're teaching in our big classroom, our lecture halls, our um, what they call interprofessional education um, spaces, which are the movable tables and the multiple displays and all that, you know, combined room mode things that they do, or are just our standard small classroom, that UI, those first couple pages, page flips on the UI are the same. That's a great point there. And we've talked about standardization a bit here and and I, I think that that providing that comfort level and and the uh, the ability for somebody to feel like they can walk into any room and have a similar experience makes all the difference at least what I've seen in the past um, I think as we wrap this one up and and I think we touched on a lot of good things to follow up on uh, uh, the one question that I would ask um, kind of going back to the beginning about programming is it, it is there a need for more of a, a universal uh, resource for training and and do we need to kind of separate the manufacturers from from the uh, ability to get trained up in doing control programming almost regardless of a language too right I think um, I'm going to step into Hetma at the moment and say that um, that working with our our manufacturer partners, building out an education suite that makes sense for higher ed is imperative for us moving forward. Um, I believe that we have the resources and the people and the dedication available to make a real difference in how those trainings are, are developed and, and given and deployed to our, to our members and to higher ed in general. Um, and partnering with Avixa and getting, you know, higher ed a better seat at the table, I think is in the next couple of years, we're going to see those programs developed, developed out and be a lot more of it, a lot more readily available to everyone. Yeah, I hope that it sets a blueprint too for not just higher ed, but for everybody to benefit, because I think I, I hope so. I hope it does. I, I've said, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm a little biased, but I, but this is organic that I've been a big fan of Hetma for a long time, and I think that that, that uh, 
the association's doing really great things for the industry. So um, I'm looking forward to that. And that that's kind of going to tease into our next episode. So stay tuned for a little bit more about HEPMA. Um, just to wrap this one up, Donovan, how could people uh, learn more about what you're doing, get in touch with you and continue the conversation? Um, you can find me on the socials on, uh, on Twitter. It's uh, uh, D Monday WV and on LinkedIn, Donovan Monday, uh, DA Monday music on Instagram, or if you want to just, uh, you can always just find me in on search W West Virginia university and type in WV uh, Donovan Monday. And um, I'm the only one. <laughs> so uh, my email comes right up. So. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for being on with us. Thank you. James, how can people get in touch with you and learn what you're up to? Uh, as always, you can uh, find me on the socials, uh, Twitter, AV underscore James King. LinkedIn, a little bit active on there. Uh, anything with HEPMA, I'm there. And again, you Google me. Oh, yeah. yeah, you can also join HEPMA and, and type in my name and uh, message me there as well. Or if you're in higher ed and you want to join the AVIT Slack channel, um, you can always find me there as well. Yep. Always good stuff. And and the, uh, the HEPMA community is really cool. So it's open to anybody to join. So please check that out. Um, uh, HEPMA.org is the, the basis for it. And then there's a community website. Uh, for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media. You can also reach my company, Control Concepts at controlconcepts.net. But what's most important to us is you continue to listen and check out Ask the Programmer. We're doing uh, a lot of interesting things moving forward and stay tuned for uh, the uh, continued guests and uh, more relevant topics that are speaking to uh, the needs and desires of this audience, uh, all centered around programming and control. And if you have uh, a request or if you have feedback, please uh, reach out to James or me. And if you'd like to be on our show, uh, please also uh, let us know. And uh, you could uh, watch the show on YouTube or listen on your favorite podcast player through uh, both Apple and Google podcasts. And with that, this has been Ask the Programmer.